Welcome to the Better the Pond podcast. In each episode, Warren Berry, CEO and founder of Instinctive Solutions, talks to amazing people doing incredible things that lead the charge of generosity. We'll discover what makes each guest a bit of an odd duck and how they continue to better the pond around us. The migration starts right now with our host, Warren Berry. Hello, everyone, and I want to welcome you to another episode of the Better the Pond podcast, where we talk to amazing people doing incredible things that lead the charge of generosity. My name is Warren Berry, and I'm your host and founder of Instinctive Solutions, where we believe that everyone is an odd duck, but that's what makes them awesome. And today, our guest is Shauna Burkhart. She hails from Phoenix, Arizona, the Valley of the Sun. She is the CEO and founder of The Honest Edge, where she does her life's work of coaching and counseling for high-performing executives. She has her master's degree in, in counseling. She's trained in EMDR and helps people sit in the fire that have to have difficult conversations to help people move forward, create ripples, and she wants to transform the world one person at a time. She betters the pond by helping people unload their burden and give them the freedom and happiness that they deserve. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to welcome Shauna Burkhart. So welcome Shauna Burkhart to the Better the Pond podcast. I am so excited. I'm elated to actually have you on a, as a guest. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm almost speechless. So welcome. Oh, thank you. I am super happy to be here. This is fun. I'm glad you invited me. So, and to all the listeners out there, um, I want you to pay special attention because if you listened to the intro of the Better the Pond podcast, you might just hear a familiar voice. (laughs) That would be you. That would be me. Yeah. Thanks for asking me to do that. It's uh, it's one of those special skills that I thought way back in the day when I was building my practice, I was looking for a side gig. And uh, my now husband said, you should do voiceovers. And I'm like, what's a voiceover? <laughs> I was clueless and uh, have now been doing corporate voiceovers for 15 years at this point. And it has been such a fun hobby. Um, It's really just playtime to me. And so thanks for asking me to do yours. I was more than happy to. And you did an an incredible job that you did. So I am am proud to share that information. (laughs) Thank you. So, so Shauna, what, you know, you were once a gosling um, and then it came time to leave the nest and it got you to the point where you are today. So Shauna, I want to hear your backstory. Um, Tell what's, tell, tell me all about you. Ooh, starting from my little gosling years. I love that question. Um, You know, I kind of feel like you always go through your like adulthood forward, but from uh, my perspective, my my gosling years were probably the more formative ones as they are for most people. So thanks for the question. Um, My gosling years, I grew up in Southern Illinois, which is about six hours south of Chicago. And what that means is it's a completely and totally different world than what most people think of when they think of the state of Illinois here in the United States, right? This big uh, urban area. No, no, no. I grew up in uh, a place probably a little 
looks a little more like most of Canada, right? Where uh, you could land a 747 and do donuts and never hit a thing, right? It's a bunch of cornfields, soybean all around. Like it's a, it's a very rural farming community. And, and that's so, the, yeah, well, we say in Saskatchewan, is, it's the land where you can see your dog run away for two weeks. <laughs> yes, that is the place I grew is up. Is that the place you grew up in? That's the place I grew we, up in, yeah. We, I mean, We share that similarities. We Farmland, yes. community. We do. And I think because the, there aren't as many people that have experienced that, it really is a beautiful place for formative years um, and challenging all at the same time. I think what I found out uh, about living in a very rural area was I was a bit of a black sheep, I guess, where I always was reading and interested in going anywhere but where I was. And so that was part of, I think, what kind of my natural curiosity probably led me to doing what I do now, but it started just in the, you know, peaceful farmlands of Southern Illinois. And that, that upbringing, um, I didn't realize until much, much later really mattered. Um, it taught me certain things that I noticed some of my friends that grew up in cities and had no touch point with nature in the way that I did. Um, I didn't realize that I naturally knew how to meditate, right? That even just spending time outdoors and spending time in solitude um, really helped me know how to touch base with that when I'm thinking about just how to manage stress, right? And working with CEOs now who have stress and how do you teach meditation to people who are used to go, 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 go. Um, and I realized, oh, that was a skill that I just naturally got to develop because of where I grew up at. And how great is that? Um, so, yeah, was, so, I mean, you're growing up years. I mean, you know, were you on a farm? Were you? Uh, I, I, I call it a farmette. We had a couple, <laughs> always had a couple of horses, right? There was always a dog and a cat running around somewhere that were never allowed in the house. Uh, that, is, that is not something that, you know, you do when you kind of live on a farmette. Um, but, and then there was that occasional like cow that would end up as freezer beef, you know, Betsy would suddenly disappear. We wouldn't know why yet. We were having an awesome barbecue the next day. You know, it's like, Oh goodness. But yeah, that's it. Yeah. So I kind of grew up on a farm, but I wouldn't call it like this major working farm where some of my, you know, uh, elementary school friends would be milking cows. You know, that was not my experience, but I got to go out and feed the horses. So. But it was still, a, it was a slower environment. It was a slower pace. There was a little more freedom, I guess you could say, just because there was space. It wasn't the go, go, rush, rush, you know, can't wait to get to the next place, right? No, that's exactly right. You know, I mean, even the closest grocery store was almost 35 minutes away. So it was, that was the once a week trip, you know, that you would go and load up on groceries or whatever. But most of the time was really spent outside alone. My sister and I, there was just the two of us and I couldn't see a neighbor anywhere around. And so our play dates didn't happen. Like, you know, we didn't meet the neighbors after school every day. That's not how it went down. So it was um, quite solitary. And and again, looking back on that, it was probably a little bit unique, um, but wasn't to the community that I grew up in. So, yeah, thanks for the question. Yeah, you're welcome. So now let's let's go for. So you're on the you're on the farm at yes, um, <laughs> and uh, so obviously you you know you went to school in where and then you know let's 
let it keep going. Let's, you know, that was your gosling years. Let's, you know, you're, let's move you into where, where to start to come to the place where you're starting to have to leave the nest. Yeah. So my first experience of like truly leaving the nest was college. Um, and that was a really interesting kind of process to navigate. Again, I was the first person in my entire family that went to college. And so this was new. <laughs> this was something that my family had no touch point for. So when you say entire family, what does that mean? Is, is that just your immediate family or was that? So my mother has a second cousin that actually has a master's degree. And then and, there's you. And then there's me. Yeah. That, that paints the picture right there. Doesn't it? Yeah, it, does. <laughs> it really does. It really does. And interestingly, you know, my story would not be unique in where I grew up at. Um, but it, it's kind of a really cool thing that my parents always knew in just from their own experiences of like, this is something we want for you is for you to have higher education. And so that was something that they, that I always knew I would do. I think I didn't know how to exactly navigate it. I was a great student, um, had tons and tons of opportunities as far as school goes. Financially, it was not as uh, open to me. And so that was the other piece of it. And, um, but, but, I, but I ended up getting a scholarship as a cheerleader um, and an academic scholarship to a state school, Southern Illinois University in Carbondale, Illinois, right? So about two and a half hours from home, and that's where I did my undergrad. And even though uh, I probably could have gone to a more prestigious school, I always thank heavens that I did not. I think the truth was moving into a university that had, I think, about 30,000 students in it, it was utter culture shock for me. And so, you know, I, I've bemoaned the fact that, oh, I should have gone to a better school. My grades would have gotten me in. But my, but my experiences wouldn't have. I think I would have been overwhelmed. And that's one of the things of flying out of the nest. I, you kind of look and see where you flew to. And sometimes it makes more sense as you look back on it of like, thank goodness I didn't get what I thought I wanted, you know? Um, but it was a great first step. I went on to get a master's uh, degree later on after going to the corporate world for a little bit of doing some executive recruiting. Um, I knew I wanted to work with people. Uh, that was always something that was on my radar. And I knew that, uh, Human resources was the thing that people always talked to me about. And I ended up getting into recruiting. I hated it. That was, you know, my first job. You know, I spent about eight years in that industry and loved working with people, hated the actual kind of just grind of making a, you know, 100 phone calls a day and, and what the recruiting process looks like. It, it just wasn't my jam. Mm -hmm. So I took a little break and uh, said, I need to regroup. This, this recruiting thing is not going to be a fulfilling lifelong path. And uh, didn't have a clue what I wanted to do and started looking at, well, I'm going to take a break and do my master's. You know, I like school, so let's go do that for a little bit and figure that out. I, I thought, well, I'll look at an MBA, right, a, a master's in business. Um, looked at a bunch of other programs and ended up doing my master's in counseling. I had never even met 
a counselor in my entire life. Again, growing up in the absolute middle of nowhere, the very last thing that you do is go see a therapist, right? Like <laughs> one, they don't exist. And two, if you go see one, you're utterly cuckoo, you know, there like you, you, yeah. have, you have fallen off the rails. But, um, but after kind of considering all the coursework and everything, it just seemed to click. And so I, uh, I ended up doing my master's at Northern Illinois University um, and worked as an assistant with a fantastic professor there and started my real life career, right, as a psychotherapist uh, turned really executive coach. Um, my corporate experience from being a recruiter for entirely too long set me up to kind of do that uh, you know, kind of higher functioning, higher performing people working with them. I, I was just used to talking with those kinds of people and, and that practice mindset just really worked for me. But that's what I did. I, I just needed a break to like figure, figure out, okay, what do I do next? Went back to get my master's and it's just been a perfect fit ever since of just being able to work with people really more one-on-one. -on -one. I do some teamwork as well, but yeah, that's that's kind of how it all came to be. So here's my question. Out of misery. For <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> here's my question for you, though. Um, this, you know, the small town girl, you know, farmette girl from Illinois, now working with you know top executives. Um, mm -hmm. But more so, you know, when you look at the psychotherapy round and working with people um, and counseling, when if you, when you look back when you were that little girl, did you have that? Um, interest or was there a spark inside you back then that maybe you would obviously wouldn't have recognized back then but you recognize it now looking back oh yeah for sure um so in elementary school hilariously i uh was always the person that would be setting goal helping people set their goals and work on them my dear friend her name was amber uh she was like I want to be more fit, right? And so every day in like third grade, we would go out and we would like do sit-ups together and push-ups and like try to get all fit, you know, and, and I would be her partner in crime there. And I think that was the first taste of what it's like to come alongside people and, you know, support them and help them get to where they want to go. And it's, it's a really vivid memory for me, but uh, my friends would always come and talk to me, right? And, and it just kind of seemed to fit, I guess. Yeah. And, and I, I didn't put that together, you know, going into undergrad or anything like that. It, it came later. I was like, huh, that kind of has always been, you know, of this, this coaching aspect of what I do, of, of really helping people get to where they want to go. Isn't it funny when we look back, you know, and you, you know, at the time you would never would have seen it, even in high school, you would never have seen it. You know, as you're going to university, you're looking for classes, you still don't see it. Then all of a sudden, you know, I truly believe that it, if you follow your heart and you follow your passions and you follow your instincts, that it finds you. And always. And then when you look back, you see and like, wow, you know, I did have an interest back then. I just didn't know what it was. I couldn't apply it to anything. Yeah. And I look back when I was younger and um, I, you know, I had an interest in psychology. I never planned to be a psychologist. I never, it was never, I mean, I never went to university. I went to the university of life. Um, but I always, you know, but I always had an, it was always something that intrigued me, even looking back then and doing things differently and trying to understand people and why do people do what they do and why do people act certain ways. And it always was in the back of my mind. But I never placed it back together until many, many years later. 
That's so fascinating, isn't it? Yeah, that we always find our path. I think the, the thing for me that was transformational was not judging myself for the route that I took. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really easy to look back and be like, well, good grief, why didn't I do that sooner, right? And again, thank goodness I didn't, right? Thank goodness I didn't get into a, you know, like more academically challenging uh, college because I would have immediately flunked out, right? Because I needed to navigate like what it's like to be around 30,000 people. Like that was something, but not judging myself for that was so important in just letting me even find that path um, because it is an exploration. And I think I love that statistic that uh, most people will change uh, careers seven times in their lives. Mm -hmm. That's incredible. Yep. Like that's, that's kind of the average. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm doing a little better than that. You know, <laughs> like, okay, I've only done it a couple of times. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, fine. But yeah, but, but even, um, even how it all built together, right? Like I can see the puzzle pieces now that I never could have. Like, thank goodness I had that almost decade stint in recruiting. Mm-hmm. Even though I loathed every moment of it, I didn't realize how much I was gleaning from it as far as, you know, how corporate organizations are structured, what the lingo is, right? How, uh, how team function, all of that stuff that I never jumped into doing what I do as an executive coach right now, if I hadn't spent some misery time there, you know, it, it wasn't a waste, I guess. And there's never a piece of our lives that are a waste, just like, I don't need to like bemoan growing up in the middle of absolutely nowhere. I got some really cool gifts there, you know, like this beautiful appreciation for nature that I teach all the time, right? Like my, one of my every time homeworks is get your butt outside and take a walk, right? And let me teach you how to do that meditatively and use that time in a way that's not just listening, you know, to a music or talking to somebody like, how do you use nature as a a restorative time for yourself? Who knew, right? That that would come naturally to me. Absolutely. So when you look back at your time recruiting and all, and, and your path, right? And that you know, and and I look at it, it's the gift in the ugly box. <laughs> okay, I like that. <laughs> you know, sometimes the box doesn't look so great. Right? Yeah. But when you open it up, there's all this. There's treasure inside, right? Yeah. And if, but if we if we look at it as the ugly box, we'll never see what's inside. And so that's my take, you know, and all of our experiences, it's the gift in the ugly box. And, but that's actually what propels us forward into our lives. If we can embrace it and appreciate it and have gratitude for it. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. And I think that's probably a core tenant of why coaching works, why psychotherapy works, right? It's really about looking at those things that we, we feel a little like embarrassed about or we want to hold some shame around, those are some of the the greatest gifts we have to offer if we can kind of shine light on those. And you got to open that ugly box if you're going (laughs) to shine some light in there and actually get the good stuff out of it. That's right. Here, you take it. No, you take it. it. (laughs) It's like hot potato, right? (laughs) So, so Shauna, I believe that that everyone is an odd duck. And I I believe that we're all misfits. Um, can you tell me about a time when, when you didn't fit in, when you were different? And that could be either positive or negative. Yeah. Um, what's a time when you were the odd duck? I think one of the things, it's, and it's kind, of, it's kind of been maybe topical, which is why maybe I'll, I'll go ahead and share it with you. 
I consider myself um, quite an outgoing introvert is how I would describe myself. Um, I, I once had a reading party for a birthday <laughs> where all of my friends came over and we read books. <laughs> <laughs> wow. My idea of a good time, right? Rock oh on. gosh, rock on, right? But I always had like friends around. It was that was not the issue. It was who I showed up as was like, okay, we're gonna have a reading party, but whatevs, right? And I'm having this experience now. Um I work with a lot of very busy, very um driven people. And one of the gifts that I get to kind of give them is showing them my oddness in how I, how I choose to kind of honor and run my own life. Um, and being an outgoing introvert, that basically means I have to really superiorly manage my energy as an introvert in a way that looks utterly cuckoo to some people. Um, for example, I never will take more than 15 hours of client calls in a week. I have found over the course of time that if I do, the life gets sucked out of me. And, um, and I'm not honoring that introversion part where I really need solitude in order to recharge my batteries. What I've found is when I share those kinds of odd things with people like, wait, you don't see or talk to people any more than 15 hours in a week. I'm like, yep, that is correct. Um, it blows their mind. And yet it's the very thing that I know if I don't do that, I cannot do what I do at the level that I do it. Um, one of my things is I want to show up hundred percent for people. It's really important that my energy is managed for what I feel like the value I provide them. And um, that's been something that's kind of odd that people have said, I don't get that. And yet they're incredibly curious about it because they're, the people I tend to work with are way more introverted than they ever realized. And so when we look at their burnout and exhaustion levels and stress levels, they're so often, they're, they're trying to live up to like true extroversion when they're introverts, that they just need way more downtime than they're possibly giving themselves. And just having an alternate viewpoint has been incredibly valuable. And so that, that's kind of my odd duck. And, I, and I've been a bit of an odd duck honoring that introversion for a very long time. So in saying that, so now that you've told us, you know, why you're the odd duck, mm -hmm. um, now from that, what is your superpower? What is it that makes you awesome? And, and this isn't bragging. This isn't about stroking your ego, right? This is your inner goose coming out to play. Yeah. That's so one of the, <laughs> this is kind of a funny way to put this, but um, probably 85 to 90% of the people that I work with are men most of the time. And I've got this uncanny. They're, hold on. They're men most of the time? Well, I mean, mostly <laughs> that came out all wrong, didn't it? <laughs> most of the time, you know, and then the other part of the time, I don't know what they are. No. Okay. So 85% of the time that I'm working, I work with men. And that's really kind of unique because most of the coaches um, that, that are in my circle, they work same sex, right? Where, where the women love to work with women, the men tend to work with men. And one of my superpowers is working with 
the opposite sex. And it's been something that has been such a gift for people. And I didn't realize um, that I had that kind of interesting little superpower where being a woman, I can help men actually have conversations that feel a little bit more comfortable where they can add a layer of vulnerability that may not have been possible before. And it's something that I've heard from them over and over and over again. And I denied it for a long time of like, I, I don't want to just work with men and I don't, uh, but, but the, my clients tend to be um, founders of companies that are men. You know, it looks a bit like our, our culture does now. But what I can do there is um, kind of crack open the case that they may have of, you know, the kind of hard shell of sorts uh, that they'll play with other men. And so if they hire male coaches, that can be sometimes an issue for the very specific kind of people that I work with. And um, I should probably add on of like why this is a bit, why I think this works. Um, I think the thing that I've noticed and I've kind of decoded over the years is that the people I tend to work with, they're, they tend to have past history with parents they deeply love, but their same sex parent is the one they kind of have a little bit of a rub with. And it's been an important feature um, that the guys I work with tend to have a bit of a strained yet loving relationship with their dads. The women I work with tend to have a bit of a strained but loving relationship with their moms. And so for whatever reason, when I, when I know that and can kind of help them crack open some of the things that they, they didn't ever realize were connected to what's going on in their life right now or their work. Um, that's really special. It changes the game for them. Have you ever played in the realm of masculine and feminine energy? Yes. And would you throw that into the mix so that, you know, maybe you can connect and maybe those people have connected with you just because of that energy? Uh, uh, absolutely. I mean, I think, um, I know I bring a lot of masculine energy to to the work that I do. And that's one of the things that works. It, it, it's a really cool blend, I think, when when you can recognize, oh, that's going on. Or recognizing the feminine parts and, and allowing those parts for men to come out, right? Or finding those more powerful parts of the masculine energy when I'm working with women to actually be able to utilize those in new ways. Because, you know, we're men tend to like squash their feminine side, you know, and like, wait a minute, we're all both. You have a mom and you have a dad. Guess what? You got a little bit of both, you know, one tends to take precedence, but sometimes we need to learn how to turn up the volume on, on another part of ourselves. So would you say though, in the people that, you know, the, the leaders that you've worked with, um, how many people would you say that under just a general percentage would understand that? that understand that, you know, because I mean, really you think of men as CEOs and we, we, and we do yeah. put them on a pedestal, right? And it's all manly and all that thing. Sure. Um, but yet if you can actually start to understand there's the masculine or feminine energy piece, right? Which I think makes yeah. ends up making you more whole because it's there anyway, but then it also, I think it makes you a better leader. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I think it's been mind blowing information and even more mind blowing to actually allow those energies to even be acknowledged um, so often. It's, it's such a relief um, when people understand, oh, I'm an introvert and oh, I can be, have this softer kind of um, more feminine 
part of myself that I can use as well in order to navigate my world, right? To, to interact with people maybe in a new way than they'd had before. I mean, that's, that it, women tend to be relational, right? Like our feminine energy tends to be a little bit softer, more relational. That's incredibly valuable to a guy who's usually just like, do it my way, you know, like that, how's that working for you, you know? Yes, male energy uh, yeah. male energy doesn't really tend <laughs> no. to go over all that well. No, we get plenty of that in the world already. It's like, no, but love y'all, but you know, <laughs> let's, yeah, let's round it out a little, so. <laughs> But uh, so, I mean, would you say then when you understanding that and putting that forward, that's part of your superpower? That's yeah, I, that's, a, that's a great way to put that. Yes. Yeah. I love that. Mm -hmm. well, there we go. I I, yeah, I could roll with that, Warren. I like it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so can you tell me, uh, Shauna, what are you doing um, either presently or have you done in the past um, to better the pond? What are you doing to make the world a better place? And, and more importantly, I think, is I'd like to know why are you doing it? And, and why does it matter? Yeah. That's a, so I think the bettering the pond for me, it definitely happens in everyday work. Um, the way I look at the, the pond that I occupy is the, the more we can relate to each other and the more that we can learn to accept our our goods, the bads, and the uglies, right? The more we're accepting of other people. And I think that really makes the pond a whole lot more beautiful. That's kind of what this idea of really giving people a place to have more powerful conversations is about. I think we all put off these more intense, deeper level conversations. Sometimes they are just not comfortable to look at. And when you've a safe place to kind of go and say, here's what's going on. What, what are you seeing? And have a place to collaborate around that, to really untangle what that might be. Um, makes things really a whole lot better. Um, it shifts how they can relate with everybody. And I think that that's kind of like, if I look at how I want to better the pond, that's the ripple effect that happens. Um, being a coach gives me very special access in some ways to say things and to work with people in a way that is the only kind of relationship that can get away with that kind of conversation. And to be able to offer that to people, holy moly game changer. You know, I mean, I've seen, I've seen parents like absolutely heal really fraught relationships with their kids just from being willing to kind of sit and explore with me, come up with some new ideas about how to relate. Um, I mean, the amount of marriages that have improved, you know, like it's almost priceless when you look at the ripple effect of those things. When you look at teams that don't fall apart and what it costs when they start losing people because they don't know how to talk about or act in a certain situation, right? That there's actually no real handbook on how to do this exact thing. You have to kind of feel your way through it. And coaching gives people a space to feel their way through it. And when they do, um, and when they can kind of understand, oh, here's what I can do about this differently, that ripple effect goes out. And I guess that's, that's kind of my impact in the pond is that I work with high level people because they have a lot of impact. Um, my special skills, they aren't to work with 10,000 people at a time and speak on a stage. Not my jam, you know? I, I love it for people that, that that is their jam, but 
I find that this is the very best way that I've found to have the bigger ripple um, is to work with leaders and to work with heads of families and you know where, wherever you're leading at that those challenges when you can shift them into something that works better changes the game yeah isn't it fascinating you know how we can have an effect on you know on one person and they can take that home and have an effect on another person and then they you know and then let's even as a family or any time team dynamic i mean yeah that ripple effect that goes out is pretty remarkable when you think about it and, and you know and it can all stem from one conversation the conversation may not be pretty but it's still one conversation and yeah that's yes that's exactly it i mean i think we're here in the i know it's happening all over the world now but this black lives matter movement mm -hmm. is really about having powerful conversations they are not comfortable conversations for anyone, mm -hmm. um, but they are essential conversations. They are things that we have buried and hidden and ignored. And I can think of 300 other things that we do the same way in our life. And so this one just feels like so universal of the moment of things that we're now talking about. And so it makes me feel really good to know what I do actually matters. And, um, you know, and I'm seeing it even in this movement that's happening here in the U.S. right now of like powerful conversations are happening. They matter. They, they affect change. And it's really a cool thing, you know. And some days because this work, sometimes it happens in moment, right? Like it just takes a second. Sometimes it happens over the course of months. And you have to like hold the faith. <laughs> like <laughs> what I'm doing, it's going to work. I know it. Like I see them headed there, you know. And so... Th these are those times I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what I do is actually making a difference, you know, or that moment when a client says, holy moly, that was amazing. Like, I never saw it that way. That changed things, you know, of like, I didn't even know I could um, speak up in that way to, to uh, an employee, right? Mm -hmm. I've just been shoving it under the rug, hoping they'd, you know, miraculously realize that I had a problem with it but just us scripting it out really helped, you know? And it was like, then they don't have to lose that employee. Like, that's a huge thing. Absolutely, I, 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 I totally relate to what you're saying. And I've seen the same thing in, in, uh, in my life and my practice as well. So it's very, very, it's, you know, it can be something so small, but so powerful all at the same time. Yeah. And, you know, I was talking to your lovely husband, Brian, and RJ. <laughs> I love him. He's the best. <laughs> well, I'm glad you said that. <laughs> if I don't, then he's got a problem, right? <laughs> but, you know, he had made mention yesterday, uh, just we were, and we were talking about the same point of, you know, bettering the pond and, and something, again, um, on the same lines of, you know, ha having a conversation with somebody, opening a door. Um, I know that you guys, you know, through, the, through your companies, you know, do work to better the pond out in, uh, in the community. And um, again, but the same principle too of, you know, um, somebody could be having a bad day and just smile and, and have a conversation or just say thank you or, you know. Yeah, absolutely. It, it really is amazing that uh, I always think that people think the, they have to like affect these, do these giant things in order to make a difference, in order to change course, right? It usually happens in these little incredibly tiny moments. And for me, um, that's fantastic because 
I don't have to eat the entire sandwich at once. I can take a bite and I'm still eating a sandwich and it does make a difference, right? One, one tiny little thing at a time. Um, yeah, even silly stuff like just asking people their name, right? It changes the game. Like we, we ignore some of those like really basic human to human things of like, hey, what's your name? If somebody's, you know, like, well, you know, I, our, uh, I think my husband told you that we're getting our house repainted, right? And so it's just been like so many people coming in and out to redo stucco, to do this, whatever, whatever. But just saying, hey, what's your name? Even if there are five of them out there, you know, just taking a moment to say, hey, I see you. Thanks for your help. Like, that's awesome, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Thanks for so doing that, your thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're doing your thing and I'm doing mine. And we're better right. together. And um, yeah. so here's the bigger question for you, Shauna, is why are you doing it? Why do you better the pond? <laughs> so it's a really personal mission for me. Um, where I grew up, you don't talk about anything. And what that does is it means you have to carry this giant bag of, you know, hooey along with you that is totally unexamined and is painful. And I see a lot of people doing that same thing. And so when I can open up a powerful conversation with people, I know that I'm unloading that pain. I am unloading them from that burden that some of them didn't even know they were carrying around that much weight, right? And so that's why I do it is so people can actually feel free and happy and know what to do with, with what's going on in their lives, you know? And, and they don't have to have any shame about it. And that's transformational. And in turn, would that give you joy? Oh, yes, right? I mean, I think that... We, we always do it for ourselves, you know, like any charity stuff, like it feels good. I'm going to do that, you know, but to get to do that in your work every single day and you can be more purposeful about it when you, you know, go to the grocery store or, um, you know, greet somebody who's helping you out with, with painting your house. Those things give me joy too. Yeah. I think that's a really, it's a good thing to know. <laughs> Makes me happy too. <laughs> Therefore, there's the win-win. And when we, you know, it is, uh, yeah. and that's, you know, that's really how it works, right? Um, mm-hmm. at, at the end of the day. So, yeah. So, sure is. Um, so now you are your, your mother goose. You are on the pond. You are the all-knowing, the wise. Mm. With the stage goose. And in your crystal ball, what I'd like to know, Shauna, what does your golden pond look like? What does the future look like in your world? Wow. Well, it looks really good. Um, I, I kind of touched on this, but the thing that I'm really, I mean, I just know it's going to happen, is that all of this crazy and all of this chaos right now and all of this stress and strangeness is actually moving us to a place where we're gonna be more connected as humans. Like, I don't know about you, but I'm having more and more and more conversations that matter with people. And I am reaching out to people that maybe I haven't even reached out to right in, in a year because I'm just checking in with them because we're under this stress and how good that feels and how to slow down and how to reconnect. These are all things that I've been banging the drum about for a really long time. 
I'm getting like this giant tailwind now of like, oh, I get it, <laughs> right? I'm like, yeah, this is even better that I can maybe choose to work from home a couple of days a week so I can have lunch with my spouse, right? Or I can maybe go in an hour later, um, even if our office opens back up, because I'm going to take a walk in the mornings. Mm-hmm. Like those little tiny things are actually transformational in people's happiness and in people's ability to kind of just feel good in the world. And I think we've been more stressed out and more strained than maybe we even realized. And this like global pause is opening up. I think what my like dream world is, which is where people really honor what they actually need and not feel so obligated to do it just because, or because if I do this longer and kill myself, well, I get a couple more bucks. Like that formula just isn't working so good. You know, Uh, it's leaving a lot on the table that makes life really great. And so that's, that's like my best hope for the golden pond is that it's a little bit less um, strained and tumultuous, right? That, That the pond is a little smoother and feels a little better to swim around in. So, you know, when you look back at, I mean, COVID made the world stop. Um, with, with, you know, uh, we were forced to be at home and, 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 um, and spend time. Um, and then, you know, with, with the whole Black Lives Matter. Um, and so that, again, that's sort of layering a whole other piece. So would, if from, you know, from your perception, would you say that, this has been a, a, a outside of the circumstances, but it's been a positive direction for what the world needed. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, uh, we're in it, and so it feels stingy to to kind of um, go to that place. It's like too soon. Yeah, maybe, but I I think I think yeah, it's a really we've needed this for a long time, and we've needed something dramatic, obviously, in order to kind of get this growth, to get this real change. Um, Sometimes we like to learn it the hard way. I think this is maybe one of the hard ways, but I'm glad we're learning it regardless. (laughs) Yeah, well, we all, we know that the the change is never easy, so. (laughs) No, (laughs) this one's especially painful, but. (laughs) It does not get handed on a silver platter, so. No, no, yeah, this is. This is like going to the dock, you know, like I, I didn't need any of that, but here, here it is. And so let's, let's get all the juice out of it. Let's get all the learning out of it. And let's not go back to the stuff that wasn't working in the first place. Like I deeply hope that that's where we're headed. Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, as a, hopefully as a society, it's given people the time to pause, reflect, you know, analyze to say, what, where was I? You know, and where can I go? And I'm really hoping that when people can take a positive approach to the changes that are going on in the world and 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 move society forward, versus being the victim. And and you know, as as I was saying to Brian, I said, you know, complaining is not a strategy. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it, it, it's quite. Uh it's a bit masturbatory to to use a, you know, a crass word there, but yeah, it doesn't do any good to complain about this, but it does a whole lot of good to say, what can I get in this? Where, where, where do I need to be at to be in a better place? Right. If, if I have to go through this, then how am I, is it? 
Mm-hmm. Use it for the good. So one final thought. If you could leave my listeners with one final thought, Shauna, what would it be? Go ahead and dare to have conversations that might feel weird. And, and what I mean by that is truly powerful conversations that connect you to people, that really move humanity forward, they are not comfortable. They feel weird. Mm-hmm. And even if you think it's going to feel weird, go ahead and have it anyway. And that will move us forward. And we'll yeah. also create ripples. Yes. 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 When we don't talk about it and it's no fun and we carry stuff around and we carry resentment around and we carry pain around and all of those things. But if we just accept the weird and go ahead and have the conversation and say, here's what's going on for me changes everything. Right. Absolutely. Well, I want to thank you ever so much for your time today and your wisdom. Um, (laughs) And I truly, from my heart, I want to thank you for doing what you do to better the pond. And, and, you know, it's, uh, it's incredible. You're doing it one person at a time, but you're obviously leaving, you know, you're leaving a mark um, and you're making a difference in the world. And, and I thank you for doing that. And it really helps a much, much bigger mission where we can make the world a better place. So thank you, Shauna. Thank you, Warren. Thanks for having me. So there you have it, folks. We had a great time with Shauna Burkhardt today. Um, This is me flocking off to take you beyond the pond to better the pond because we're better together. Well, thanks for landing on the Better the Pond podcast. Do you know someone who should be in our flock? Contact Warren at warren at instinctivesolutions.ca to tell us their story. Until next time, what ripples will you create? Cheers.